Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 20 macro factors we read about those inevitably and they will inevitably have a a long-term effect i always like to see things with glass half full i like to think that asia is very dynamic win-win situation for the buyer where they continue to get their 90 days credit i'm Depesh patel editor at trade finance global Today, we're celebrating our 20th podcast of Trade Finance Talks, and we're doing something very special. It's our first ever podcast takeover, and I'm delighted to have Michael Bickers, Editorial Director of BCR Publishing, who Trade Finance Global have partnered with for the BCR Supply Chain Finance Summit APAC on the 15th and 16th of October in Singapore. Michael, thank you for coming. I'm delighted to be here. Michael, I'm handing the microphone over to you now, so I will leave it with you to introduce our topic for today, our fantastic guest speaker and takeover as our host for Trade Finance Talks. Michael, over to you. Thank you, Deepesh. Well, today's topic is going to be around supply chain finance programs in Asia, how they're changing and what corporate treasurers, transaction banking teams and service providers could be thinking about when it comes to supply chain finance. Well, mainly thanks to technology, transaction banking is going through a revolution across Asia, particularly within the supply chain finance space. We talk about digitization within receivables finance a lot at BCR and TRF News. And as the world moves away from traditional instruments like the letter of credit and towards open account trade, banks are increasingly funding suppliers of large corporates via dedicated supply chain finance programs. So I'm delighted uh, to welcome our guest today, who's Jolyon Elwood-Russell, who's a partner, financial markets at Simmons & Simmons, a law firm based in Hong Kong. Jolyon is a finance lawyer with a wide variety of experience in banking and finance transactions, and in particular is a specialist in trade receivables commodity finance. He's also going to be a keynote speaker at our forthcoming BCR Supply Chain Finance Conference October on the 15th and 16th of that month. So hopefully, Jolyon is there in Hong Kong, Jolyon, are you receiving me? Absolutely, and uh, (laughs) delighted to be here. Thank you very much. Well, welcome. And um, just tell us in no more than 30 seconds, just tell us a bit about yourself and tell us what you do at Simmons & Simmons. We are a law firm that specializes in finance and dealing with financial institutions and other sort of finance-related entities such as funds and uh, or even just companies that are trying to deal with their own finance or need finance or raise finance. And my particular specialism, as you said, was uh, trade and receivables and uh, supply chain finance. And as you mentioned, I'm based out here in Asia, so predominantly focus on the Asian market. And I sort of cover anything from helping companies raise money to chasing them when they don't pay or occasionally investigating sometimes trade-based money laundering issues when they arise in supply chain and also advising banks and some of the new alternative debt providers in how to establish supply chain programs that best fits for either their customer client base or, or for corporates to help them think about what is the good uh, supply chain solution. For the benefit of our listeners, let's just be clear about what we mean by supply chain finance, because there are and there have been various definitions and interpretations of that term. 
So for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to say supply chain finance is what is also known as supplier finance or approved payables finance or reverse factoring, which I think is the, the way it's commonly used by banks in terms of their supply chain finance operations. So we're focusing on just one link in the long supply chain between the supplier and the purchaser. I think the fact that you've just described what supply chain finance is in effectively three or four different terms probably shows the degree of confusion in what we're dealing with and what we're talking about. So, so just to try and break it down a little bit and try and simplify it, all companies have supply chains. You always have buyers and you always have sellers, right? So if you have a buyer, you can often be a very life a buyer, for example, there in the UK, you might have a big strong buyer like Tesco's, and they often dictate their own terms. They might acquire their suppliers to give them trade to credit and not have to pay their invoices. So here's some of uh, uh you know, for 90 or or even 120 days. And then if you think Tesco sources from around the world, and so often of its sellers are perhaps, you know, based in this part of the world here in Asia and their factories, they're making umbrellas, for example, or, or the latest trends. And some in this part of the world, it's difficult to get capital. And so they're forced to give credit to the buyer. And so you've got this sort of big mismatch between what the buyer is asking for and what this in terms of credit terms and what the seller can actually able to give. So what supply chain finance tries to do is aims to bridge this gap or this problem to try and create a you know a win-win situation for the buyer where they continue to get their 90 days credit where at the same time is offering to pay the seller early so that they can then make sure that they can perform and deliver to the buyer exactly what they agreed that they would without running into working capital problems, for example. So it aims to try and optimize that sort of flow of money through the supply chain and between buyers and sellers. And if you think banks, the financier, they'll, they'll come in and look at that trade flow. They want to understand customers' portfolio. They'll pay those suppliers early because the banks or the finances will be looking at the suppliers who wouldn't normally be their customers. For example, those, I was talking about Tesco's. Tesco's big bank would not have access to lots of different suppliers here in Asia and wouldn't even think about sort of financing all of these small, medium, small, medium enterprises. But supply chain finance can offer that by looking at the customer base of the of the big buyer, for example, and then offering them finance. And so they so the buyer's happy because they've got their credit and they know that the, the seller will perform. The seller's happy because they're being paid early. And the financier has made a bit of in, has made a fee and maintained some relationship with its buyer while relying on the credit of the buyer while being able to finance a um, a new supplier, for example. So the buyer gets to pay later, has longer payment terms. The supplier gets paid earlier, but has to pay some finance charges to the bank. But the advantage to the supplier is that he's paying finance charges based on the credit rating of the large buyer, so he gets finance cheaper. And the bank uh, wins some business. So is it truthfully really a win-win situation? Nobody loses out. It benefits all parties, all three parties. I'm a great believer, absolutely, because I think at the um, at the beginning we talked about payables. So you're right. We're looking at the buyer's profile of its obligations. It's going to pay those suppliers anyway. So it's just using its bank relationship to do that and offering anyway. 
it's approved payables. There's no real, for the financier, there's not any, uh, because it's been approved by the buyer, the buyer's going to pay it anyway. So the purchaser has accepted the invoice, accepted the goods. There's not going to be much risk of, of any dispute in relation to the quality because they've accepted it. That is why we do call it a win-win situation on that. I'm going to drill down a bit more and focus on, on Asia, Jonian. But just a quick question on that uh, tripartite relationship. The supplier is a little bit reliant on the buyer approving payment. So if there's any delay in approval of payment, then that's going to affect the supplier's ability to draw down finance. Is that an issue which comes up? That is. And that has perhaps, since time has began, then people don't want to pay on time. And that's that's inevitable. But I think, and I will we talk about a bit later on, is what we're seeing, and certainly here in Asia, is the development and the visibility via various technology platforms, for example, really facilitating that the ability to give that approval and for everyone to see that whole flow then trigger into place. Some of these banks well, have is it very is it automated to some extent? Yeah, yes, absolutely. And it, it's getting even more automated. And some of these banks are having, have got incredible technology platforms that the, the treasurer, the Tesco's can click the button and then it all just flows through. And at the same time, you've got new players coming in using various bits of technology and, and their own fintech and blockchain solutions that help that whole smart contract when goods are delivered at a certain point then again they're approved and you know and again the whole it triggers a whole chain reactions so let's let's look at the region a bit more look at the apac region globally we've seen monetary easing and low interest rates fairly strong growth in many parts of asia offset by to some extent by a slowdown in china's growth and we've also seen the world order change significantly with the us china trade war and various other geopolitical uncertainties hitting the headlines pretty much every day. How do you see the region, the APAC region, in, in terms of its uh, development in supply chain finance and, and bearing in mind the wider political scene at the moment? Macro factors, we read about those inevitably and they will inevitably have a, a long-term effect. The, I always like to see things with a glass half full. I like to think that Asia is a very dynamic jurisdiction and will tend to adapt very quickly and always has and still got a long way to grow. So coming from a bit of a a lower base, but inevitably things are difficult, but then life has been always difficult in Asia, I always say. But from, from a pure supply chain finance focused. Yes, there are inevitably going to be difficulties in t- along the supply chain. Capital controls in China means that things, you know, certainly for buyers of things in China, then it's difficult to get paid because you've got various capital controls and, and restrictions. And that just means life is not as straightforward. So all of these factors do impact supply chains, but things like trap cash and paying on time, none of these issues are really new. Tariffs, for example, whether where in the world are not new. And for people that work in trade finance that are dealing between different jurisdictions, then again, none of these issues are 
particularly new what they are is that they are very heightened at the moment we in the last few years we've had asia and sorry europe and the us it's a very homogenized jurisdictions whereas in asia we're very used to dealing with very fragmented jurisdictions you know asia is just not one jurisdiction it's a collection of many different countries but so again i think it's dynamic and we can Asia will definitely deal with it. What do you see as the role of the financial institutions and banks in this market? Are they putting, well, apart from what is the role, are they putting a lot of energy into developing supply chain finance? in the region. Mixing those two questions up about the macro effect and how banks are reacting, I think interestingly, the for supply chain finance, actually, it's becoming an in- increasing important product in any bank or financial institution's armory because traditionally you know the traditional credit markets are either shut or too volatile and it's not as easy to get financing and so being able to rely as you said earlier on on the credit of the buyer is means that actually some of the you know, as a way to raise capital it's still very healthy and if you you look at the world the large supply chain programs we're still buying our app our mobile phones and our hps you know computers and a lot of these big manufacturers are the ones who are driving these big um you know supply chain program okay just stop there for a second john i just want to cut in and with a question about the reason the banks are in this space because in the west as you probably know in europe margins are very fine in supply chain finance structures for banks so they're making quite small profit out of supply chain finance structures. And a lot of banks are in this space in order to secure and develop further their relationships with these large companies, large corporates. And so there's an element of cross-selling being part of their overall picture for uh, delivering these structures to corporates. Is there any similarity in Asia in the way that is uh, managed and delivered? To an extent, yes, that's absolutely right in terms of wanting to try and develop the, you know, the continuum cross-sell relationship of the buyer. But also, I think in certainly in Asia and with, again, with the trade wars, right, the factories and suppliers are very nimble and they can move very quickly. And so banks want to maintain that relationship with the buyers because they know the supply routes and that have been for the last 10, 15, 20 years are going to move because of the macro situations. And so if they want to carry on that good relationship with their big buyer, then to as a lot of their suppliers move to different, maybe more unfamiliar jurisdictions, for example, a lot of factories moving from China to Vietnam, then those banks realize that as a product, this is a good way to keep in their relationships with the buyers because actually it's very flexible in terms of in a world where the number of suppliers will change very quickly. And in terms of winning that kind of business, Jolyon, what is the situation with competition from alternative financiers and maybe even fintechs, I don't know, and competition from other banks? Is this a threat to regional banks? I don't know if it's a threat to regional banks because I think you know we work you know more so with the some of the alternative debt providers at the moment and that is a really exciting space I think they definitely are coexisting the alternative debt providers and funds that are doing their own supply chain programs are looking at some of the risks that the banks can't look at or do not or you know don't want to be exposed to. I mean, certainly in Asia, a lot of the regional banks have always been very 
real estate or LTV backed and less so around you know cash flows and trade flows. So moving away from, you know, so they don't tend to move away from that sort of model very quickly, whereas a lot of the alternative financers are more nimble and can look at and understand the supply chain and so are willing to take on that that risk and, and supply those particular uh, borrowers. On that point, in terms of what the alternative finances can do in terms of financing the supply chain compared to what the banks are doing, is part of that their ability to finance the long tail of suppliers, the smaller SMEs, whereas the banks may be focusing more on the larger SMEs in the supply chain? I think that's possibly right. The banks are, to an extent, they are very good, They've got, but they've got balance sheets. They know how to buy receivables. They can assess all the risks. They're good at payment processing and, and have always been the traditional home of supply chain finance. But they are constrained. Certainly, you know, they've had a little bit of criticism in Europe, whereas the alternative debt providers can be more nimble. They are focusing, they're less institutionalized, and they can focus on the entire supply chain of a particular corporate. But they're also, they they're also more, not restricted by, by Basel regulations. Exactly. That's one big advantage, That's, isn't it? Exactly. That is exactly right. Yes. And the banks don't want high risk, small SME receivable debt on their on their balance sheets. That's right. Yeah. Let's move on to regulation and governments. Do you think there is sufficient support from governments in, in helping the development of supply chain finance in the region? I know from my own experience that uh, China has been very supportive of the development of supply chain finance, but I'm not sure what the situation is beyond China um, in the APAC region. What's your view on that or what's your knowledge of that? Again, in the same way that banks have traditionally tried with some element of real estate attached to it or, or, or some sort of corporate lend or LTV ratio, there's less around understanding by governments of supply chain financing. What governments are very good at here is actually you know looking at or trying to protect against some of the problems in trade-based money laundering in relation to you know, double invoicing and that is a more of a priority I think in terms of trade generally supply chain finance and trade finances around governments trying to come up with solutions and better ways to make deterrence around that's a short-term priority is really in terms of yeah looking at money laundering but if you look at the longer term and, and the bigger picture, particularly with SME finance. I think most, uh, most uh, economies recognize SMEs as being extremely important to the economy of countries. They don't seem to be you know, giving them enough support, in my view, and I've particularly seen this in, in Europe. They don't seem to recognize the importance of receivables finance and supply chain finance. Would you say that's the case in, in I think that's right in terms of in, in terms of governments, but again, it's less so so impacted on the governments. The governments, that's again, is not their real priority, as it were. If their enthusiasm for some of the new programs, and you mentioned sort of China in terms of the, some of the technology platforms that allows some of the receivables purchasing arrangements. And so you've got a lot of peer-to-peer receivable purchase is trying to greater liquidity into, into receivables. That's getting a lot of interest by both governments and by and also the fintechs and, and when you think there's so much support with these people like Alibaba and Tencent and you've got all of these huge logistic and providers and producers that have so much 
contractors to suppliers, then it's those ones rather than governments. And, you know, arguably in China, there's there's a lot of government influence are trying to drive coming up with new platforms and financing methods, very similar to supply chain finance. And that is really being taken note of in Asia. And I think that that's, you know, and I think when Alibaba and Tencent and come up with these with new these new platforms, then people do take note. And I think that that's what we're really starting to see here. Well, let's let's move forward a bit now. Let's let's look at the uh, the short term future. And uh, going to put you on the spot slightly, Jolyon. And if you were talking to a bank or a corporate treasurer, what sort of advice? Uh, well, let's say three pieces of advice that you would give to a bank or a corporate treasurer in terms of what they should be watching out for in supply chain finance, and maybe taking into consideration that looks like we're heading into a bit of a global downturn generally in the next uh, well, short to medium term future. One key thing, and certainly out here in Asia, is actually sustainability. And you know, people are saying, what's that got to do with supply chain finance? This is the actual thing that I get really excited about because despite the you know the macro change in the world in terms of the trade wars and, and you know downturns and whatever, there is no doubt a more sentiment towards and demand by consumers to understand where their goods are coming from and they want to know where their financing of those goods are coming from from and sustainability i think is absolutely key and i keep saying this to both treasurers and to and to banks because for sustainable and sustainability in supply chain is where there can be a real behavioral change and that is what is really exciting because if you've got a normal supply chain program we say to treasurers right get when you tell your sourcing and your procurement team make sure that when you get your suppliers information get their ESG ratings or try and get as much ESG information out of them because then what you can do is you can then take all of that data you can take it to you can rank it you can put it in a sustainable table and then what you can do is you can take that to the bank and say I want cheaper finance because I've ranked all of these suppliers and I'm only going to I'm going to make a behavioral change and therefore you should give me cheaper financing for it and make greater credit. And the banks are doing that. The banks are really trying to incentivize big customers to do better things. And I think that that's certainly one area that we're going to see a major shift in. And so with that, I say the corporates get better data and banks, you know, really be thinking about what's their sustainable objectives, because that's what the customers are looking at at the moment. Do you see a lot of potential growth just wrapping up now um, in the Asia Pacific region for supply chain finance, do you see this really moving forward in the coming year? I do. I see more and more. I know that you know we've been t- talking about supply chain finance in Asia for a long time. In terms, you know, and but again, it's always been with the institutional banks. And I think now with fintechs and data being so important, and what data provides is visibility and, and more certainty. And that is what traditionally in Asia has been lacking because you know they've not been you know the standards for financial accounting are less homogenous. And so, but now if you could see with fintechs and the data, you can just track all of the, uh, of where the supply, you know, whether it's the buyers and sellers and supply routes are in real time. And that data is far more valuable than actually bankers credit rating on an SME. So I do see that, yes, there is going to be a, a real dramatic increase in, um, in where supply chain is, but it won't be in the same form. Watch this space, I suppose. So a good future for supply chain finance. We'll see the sector evolving quite a lot 
in the short to medium term. Well, that's great. We're out of time now, Jolyon. I'd like to thank you very much for your time today. And um, we look forward to seeing you in Singapore in October at the BCR conference. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.